Hey, Chris, if you don't mind, let's just hit the pledge, hit it hard, let's get it done, because I have a hair appointment in just a little while, and I really don't want to be late. I mean, it's fine with me, but what are you doing with your with your hair? Bleach job. I'm just bored with me, wanted to try something different. You're going to get, like, strawberry fields or sassafras glow? I'm going to have to decide there. So, can we do this? Okay. Ready, set, go. Odenkirk is my spirit animal. animal. He, he is, is my god. The path of enlightenment leads through Odenkirk. In a fallen world, it takes a slimy, fast-talking lawyer to teach us all to love. This is my pledge to watch and recap Better Call Saul. Say it with me! Saul! Well, hey, Chris. Hey, John. Welcome to, technically, this is the third episode of Saul Searching, our podcast where we recap AMC's Better Call Saul, the spinoff from Breaking Bad. Um, but it's also sort of like the fourth episode of our podcast about Better Call Saul, because we started with an episode zero. Right. And then the first episode of our show recapped the first two episodes of Better Call Saul. So now we are, we're, we're in our second week of there being a disparity. Technically, uh, the numbering on the Better Call Saul episodes is ahead of Saul searching right now. I just wanted to throw that out there. I know we've discussed it, but I just want to make sure that, that people know that we're aware of it. And our obsessive compulsion uh, does, I do stare at those two different numbers sometimes, and it causes like a, a high-pitched kind of a keening sound in my head that I yeah. can't shake. I don't know if it yeah. bothers you. One of my eyeballs kind of budges out when I look at it. It, it doesn't uh, make me happy. But what are you going to do? I mean, I guess we could do an extra episode at some point to, to even it out. But today, what we can do, I guess, is to at least make clear uh, that we're talking about their episode four episode uh, entitled Hero. So yeah, Hero, I would say this episode tells us a lot in this opening scene. It's another cold open that flashes back to an ambiguous period in the past for Jimmy. And this is this is full on slipping Jimmy. I would say in this opening sequence we are getting we, we are seeing slipping Jimmy. We're seeing the the con artist, the the scrapper, the guy who would figure out a scam and and kind of work in degrees. Like he later says uh after running this scam, he says uh, uh, it's good for beer money, but that's about all, you know. Um, so you get the idea that he is he is a small time uh, con artist, right? Con artist. So it opens up though again ambiguously. We, we quickly see where we are. We see a giant building that says Cicero on it, and that tells us we're in Cicero, Illinois. We know uh, Jimmy's from the Chicago area, so we're we're now in a town uh, near Chicago, Cicero, which uh, probably most people know. I know I know it because it was Al Capone's base of operations when he fled. Uh, Chicago because the, the the heat from the police had gotten too great, so he went to a kind of a smaller town nearby to run oh. things. Um, so that's what I always think of when I think of Cicero. I think of Al Capone. So it's funny to think of uh, Jimmy McGill in this opening scene, the con artist that we see. It's funny to think of him in the context of Al Capone. My my attitude about this episode is that it does it does it is like a an onion of reveals. There's several different layers to to different reveals about what's really going on, and we spend a lot of time in this episode wondering what exactly is going on and then finding out and then kind of thinking we know something but maybe not and then finding out some more and it deepens and I think this opening scene is a microcosm of that where we go from not being sure but thinking Jimmy's maybe the sort of immoral guy who might steal money off of a drunk guy who's passed out in an alley and and that he might steal a watch off of that guy but then to find out that he's actually running a scam with that guy it just it just painted Jimmy in as this morally duplicitous person who is running a scam, even when he seems like he's being sincere, when he seems like he's being guileless, um, uh, uh, which you know is kind of the way we've started to think of him. We've started to think of him as as someone who's 
who's who's relatively moral in his actions, and seeing this portrait was a real eye-opener. I was just delighted to see more from that era and see him as a con artist. I think it's it's always fun uh, to see con games in uh, TV shows and movies. There's just something very enjoyable about The Sting and Paper Moon and anything like that. I don't know why. It just makes a really uh, cool thing to watch. And so as soon as they were coming along, it's the guy from... Hello, ladies. One of the friends on there. The actor's name is Kevin Wiseman, who played Kives on on Hello, ladies. Yeah, and he's he's popped up in some other things. I think a lot of people know him from Alias. Obviously, you cast an actor like that in a scene like that, thinking you might need to come back to him. Right, and it would be easy if you ever did to say well, that's a good enough guy to work with. And at first, you really don't know what's going on. They come out of the bar. It does. It seems like they've just met. We quickly see that 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 it's that Jimmy's playing a character once again. He's playing a persona. Right. I think as soon as I. Uh, you know, I just thought this might be an innocent night of fun because I thought maybe they were friends. But as soon as it's revealed, he doesn't really know him. And then they find a wallet on the ground in an alley uh, where Jimmy has led the way. I said, oh, boy, something's going on here. Uh, and I could I could see through the rest of it as a as a great con. And I thought, is this a Chicago sunroof? But uh, there doesn't seem to be anything sunroof oriented about it. <laughs> so I guess this is this is not the Chicago sunroof. But I love seeing more of uh, Jimmy and his inherent schemer nature. I think it just uh, is going to add to reinforcing what we get between him and Chuck. I think, you know, knowing that, that his personal character is a schemer and a conniver, I think it's only through trying to please Chuck that he has laid uh, a set of rules on himself where he's not going to go too far with his schemes or where he's going to cut back on them or where he's going to fudge them to be uh, legal-ish. And that's what creates Saul is the combination of those two sides working against each other into uh, this one place where he's landed. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I think you're, I love where you're going with that, but we'll probably talk a little bit more about those lines between Jimmy and Saul uh, it, later on, because this episode really starts to address head on exactly when the transformation is going to take place and what it's going to mean when it does. But in that opening scene, we, we do get the first time we've heard the name Saul Goodman, right? right? Outside of the uh, the commercials that Gene was watching in uh, in Omaha at the in the cold open of the whole right. series. Um a uh, very cold open. I never thought about the fact that was actually a, a freezing a, open. Yeah, <laughs> but so yeah, that was fun, and it was maybe one of the first times on the show that they've really addressed the the pun aspect of the name. Am I wrong about that? Maybe on Breaking Bad, someone pointed it out once. It's all good, man. You know that that's where Saul Goodman comes from. Right. I never even got that joke until you mentioned it. Uh, you know, before we were going to make this podcast, but here they made it clear it's a joke. Well, it's also interesting to think that Jimmy knows it as a joke. So when he does choose it. He's, it's, you know, I guess maybe what I'm saying is the show, it kind of helps them in a a strange way, take a little bit of the steam out of that moment that when he comes up with that name, it won't be like, oh, he came up with the name. Oh, now we know it's just a joke name he kind of has in his head already. Um, And therefore, it will seem a little bit more like a callback and kind of a sly reference and less like a dun dun dun, Saul Goodman, you know. uh, Right. Anyway, so yeah, that 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 scene also contained, I thought, a really great performance by an actor named Mel Rodriguez. As uh, IMDb has him as Alley Guy, and I just thought his little drunken uh, ramblings, you know, really plays off of the fact something I've always said, which is just that the word butthole is funny. It's a funny word. Uh-huh. So, are we to think that was before he was in prison? 
Or are we to think perhaps that was after? Do you think it matters? Yeah, we don't know for sure, but I like to think that it's before the prison scene uh, because after the prison scene is the start of his transition into uh, the newer Jimmy who ends up in Albuquerque and pursues law and everything. Uh, But we don't know that for sure. Well, okay, so then we go to the scene that we know we're going to get. Like we know we're going to... We said last time they have to jump right in and answer the question of what's going to happen with the Kettlemans and their in their cash out in the woods. And I would say this scene was really interesting because uh, we started off with all those very same questions that were very literal to the the scene. You know, we wonder what's what's it going to matter that like how is the fact that he called Kim going to play into what the Kettlemans do? How are the Kettlemans going to respond to him kind of strong arming them? Um, how is he going to respond to the presence of all this money sitting right there? You know, I felt like we saw Jimmy trying his magic and it not working on, on I would say, the Kettleman's, but really we can see that it's it's Betsy who's making most of the decisions. Yeah, she's a powerful personality. It makes you remember how in other scenes she kind of seemed to speak for Craig, and that definitely, you start to see a little bit more about them, and you start to see how they're not, you know, they're not going to be just pushovers. How that scene plays out and where it goes is really crucial to what I was saying before about the kind of interlocking system. I know I, before I said they were uh, layers of reveals. Now I'm going to say there's an interlocking <laughs> system of reveals. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a mechanical onion with layers of systems and gears. What was going through your mind in that moment? It really seemed like he was trying not to not to uh, step step outside the bounds of the law. Right. He says emphatically, "I cannot take a bribe," and he sticks to it. I just can't take a bribe. And then they cut the scene and so it's kind of a mystery what what in the world is is in his head right there uh until soon after you figure out what he did the the kettlemans have slighted him professionally a couple times now and the final straw was when she says uh, you're the type of lawyer that guilty people hire yeah but you're guilty so hire me the next scene is the only moment we get with mike in this episode and i thought it was significant because it just showed that it just kind of showed the current state of their relationship which is to say that yesterday they had this interaction. I believe it was yesterday in the story. Um, and and today Mike's almost like, oh, God, you again? But he's not going to say go somewhere else. Like the, 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 the beef is squashed temporarily between them. But that doesn't mean Mike wants to chat with Jimmy. And in fact, it's, a, and it's another great reference to Jimmy being, uh, uh, you know, talkative and wanting to chat. Yeah. Um, where he, he says, you're not the loquacious type, are you? And, uh, and, and Mike says, uh, we're not all as blessed as you. There's a line that Jimmy says before that that I think is really significant where he says, you assume that criminals are going to be smarter than they are. It kind of breaks my heart a little. We're thinking that about Jimmy at certain points in this episode of wishing he was a little smarter <laughs> than he is. Yeah. But what did you make of that? Did you expect there would be more of Mike or, or how did you feel about that scene? Well, it was a good taste because I think it did exactly what we talked about and what we expected, which is uh, to say, okay, now they know each other and they are still adversarial, but they can have a conversation now. You know, so that's that's where we've we've taken them, and so now they can use Mike uh, taking off from here whenever they feel like it. So Jimmy is going down to you know Spring Nacho, bringing the Kettlemans in. We don't really know how that played out, but we know that they came in claiming that they were on a camping trip. Their story is really fishy. Uh, Nacho is definitely not believing their story, even though Jimmy seems to be really trying to sell their story to Nacho instead of saying to Nacho, "Look, here's what happened." You know what I mean, right. like. Um, it's like he's still trying to kind of keep, keep up appearances with everybody. And I, I thought it was uh, a noteworthy moment because we see that Jimmy doesn't really back down from Nacho's veiled threats. You know, like it was interesting to see that Jimmy's not cowering. He's, you know, he, maybe it's because he's in a well-lit hallway and he feels like it's his turf. But, um, uh, you know, Nacho is still kind of basically saying, 
what he was saying in the interrogation room uh, uh, last week, which is, you, you crossed me in some way. I'm going to figure out how you screwed me, and I'm going to come for you. You know, there's going to be consequences. Uh, but Jimmy doesn't back down. He, he basically tells him that he thinks he should... It's kind of what he told the skateboarding twins. You should be thanking me for, for your current predicament. I helped you. Yeah, you can see he's kind of like he's cowed for a moment, and, and then, you know, Nacho's going to walk away, and he he catches himself and says, I have to tell this guy what's what because I can't leave it at that, you know. I don't mean he's like uh, an incredibly brave person. I just mean he's got balls. Right. He's got a legitimate axe to grind with people thinking that he's somehow not doing his job. and Instead, he thinks he's doing his job very well, you know, and he's the only one who sees that. But that's really our only moment with Nacho this week. What we do get coming out of that scene is um, an answer to a question that we may have had for a couple scenes now, which is what uh, did Jimmy do with the money? Did he take the bribe from the Kettleman's? And the answer is yes. Um, and, you know, my heart sank a little bit. Yes and no. Well, how do you mean? Well, he took the bribe, but he took it as payment. And he, he, he you know, at least the way he's talking to himself about it and making notes on, on it, it looks to me like he took it uh, in a way that he can say, okay, here's how I'll bill them, and uh, and I'll, I'll take this dirty money, but I'll I'll take it in a sort of a legal-ish way. No, I agree with you, but we still know that he was saying, I can't take a bribe, and they were saying, here, take the money. This is all you're good for. This is a little scrap of money. And he's saying, no, I'm better than that. Right. And then they were proffering it, saying, nope, we're not going to hire you. Just take this and shut up. And, he's, and we know that he took it right. in that moment. I'm, I'm not talking about like— Well, I know that he took it, but I think that what he, what he did was, was said, um, uh, okay, I'll take it as, as, as payment for temporary services rendered. I, I'm not your lawyer going forward, but— uh, I was your lawyer for a day here, and and you can pay me for that. Well, I mean, you, you're making a, a decent case for the fact that Jimmy has a a good rationalization uh, in his own head. Well, and I think that's the meaning of what he's when he says at the end of the scene, uh, "Upon this rock, I will build my church." He, uh, I, uh, that's how I took it to mean, ah, I've just discovered what I can do on 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 this foundation of taking of accepting <laughs> dirty money you know, from the shadows when I have to, and simply figuring out how to bill it so that I can sort of, uh, you know, be okay with Chuck and, and, and with the law to a certain extent, uh, this is the way that I will make my law firm. No, and I, that, that's definitely what he's telling himself. And and uh, it's brilliantly scored, too, to the Battle Hymn of the Republic from, um, it's the album uh, Memphis Underground from 1969 by, by Herbie Mann. But it's, it's just a good use of that song because it's, it's rousing. It's like this jazzy version of the Battle Hymn of, of the Republic. But it, it, it's definitely ironic. I mean, it reminds me of the kind of patriotic music that seems to play behind Saul in his commercials and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, I, that scene played as, I do feel like I was disappointed. Like, in, the, in that moment, I was disappointed to find that Jimmy didn't have the high ground of 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 doing things the right way. Yeah. This is not a uh, thing that the show's trying to avoid us thinking about. It wants us to lean into it and think about, like, wow, what's going to come of this? Uh, what did Jimmy get himself into? Well, I was excited with that scene when he when he says, uh, "Upon this rock, I will build my church." I was completely exhilarated because it feels to me like the um, the origin of the Saul Goodman firm, and and you know, uh, this is how it's going to work. And so, in a way, that could have been the first scene of the show. Uh, but of course, it, it, yes, it is. It is a queasy kind of uh, enthusiasm because uh, it's a it's a shifty way of working, and so it's kind of like rooting for uh, Walter White or anybody who's doing the wrong thing, but who you're rooting for anyway. Oh, but about um, upon this rock, I will build my church. 
do we have to call that the movie quote of the week uh, or just the quote of the week? I guess you could say it's the quote of the week from the Bible. And I thought, well, maybe it's in the greatest story ever told. And then you'd call it the movie quote of the week. Otherwise, I, I didn't notice one. Or am I missing it? Going from that scene, we see him going to spend some of that money. And it really does look like he is going to come out of there looking like Saul Goodman. But that's not actually what he's doing, even though in this scene we do see a nod to Saul's fashion sense that we may remember, his kind of uh, mismatched bright colors and things. We see we see Jimmy eyeing an orange shirt with a red tie, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, a red striped tie that is uh, a pretty ungodly combination, and that looks like the kind of thing Saul would wear. But what he's actually doing <laughs> is something funnier that we don't know right away what it is. So let's just hang on to that, because the next scene is the is the nail salon scene. Finding out what Jimmy wants to do you understand why he's asking for this ridiculous haircut. But here's our movie reference of the week, as far as I'm concerned, is where his choice is to mimic Tony, uh, Tony Curtis's hair from Spartacus, is what he says. He oh, wants, yeah. he wants right. them to, he wants a simple uh, curling iron job. And, and, you know, that's what he wants. And I was thinking like, oh my gosh, no, uh, Jimmy. I was just thinking how he's got no fashion sense. Like I was thinking about the scene of him in the, in the, at the tailors. And then this made me think, oh, Jimmy's going to try to look posh and he's going to look ridiculous. And I was kind of cringing for him, but, but he's actually doing something very deliberate. He's not trying to look posh. He is trying to, uh, do something very silly and very vindictive just to get Howard Hamlin's goat, seemingly. And that is uh, to dress up as Howard Hamlin and style his hair like Howard Hamlin and uh, post a giant billboard where Howard Hamlin will see it that is an exact mimicking of, of the uh, Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill like logo and look. And, you know, it's the suit that Howard Hamlin is wearing in that scene, hilariously enough, when, when they confront each other. They're wearing the same same clothes. Yeah, they just, just string you along there, making you think, well, he came into a bunch of money, so he's going to get a makeover. We get a little bit more Kim in this episode. She's got John Carpenter's The Thing on her radar. She calls Jimmy up asking if he wants to go see it, uh, which again suggests... A, a a familiarity between the two of them and a shared experience that they might do movies together on a Saturday afternoon. It just paints a picture of their relationship. And then Howard comes in and he's he's furious and wants her to see something. And I don't know, you tell me what? How did that scene play to you? It was a huge belly laugh for me. What what did you think of the next little beat where we see what we finally do find out about the billboard? We find out what Jimmy's been up to. Yeah, it was just uh, uh, crazy. He's just a. Uh... Uh, wants to be a thorn in Howard's side. It just goes beyond, uh, you know, what needs doing. I guess. I guess Jimmy is so uh, incensed about his name change, his pending possible name change. Uh, that's just such a personal affront to him that he thinks I've got to do everything and then some to uh, get this guy to go away. But he's doing stuff that's going to make him so mad that it's just going to make it more of a problem instead of less. Yeah, and it's not like Hamlin doesn't have an apparatus with which to uh, harass Jimmy back however he wants to, which, which again, seems like where it might go. But at this point, we still don't have any indication that Howard Hamlin isn't a, a perfectly ethical lawyer. I mean, you know, we, we want to dislike him because he's at odds with, with uh, our, our hero, but, um, but we still haven't seen him do anything wrong. And Jimmy's gleeful about it. That's the other thing is when— um, when Kim comes to see him to, to pass along Howard Hamlin's uh, cease and desist letter uh, at the nail salon, which now that it's pretty clear that Jimmy does live there, um, this is where he hangs out. You know, this is where he is at night. Right. And they say salon living. So, yeah, that that uh, clinches it where we were a little unsure last week if he lived there every night. 
Right. And I thought that was a neat scene because you can see that Kim both is there to hang out with him and she's kind of going to enjoy the massage chair. But she really wants Jimmy to give a little bit more than he's giving on this issue of what's going on. And he really is keeping her outside of his own intentions. He's very pleased with himself and very smug. And I like seeing Jimmy that he's again, he's he's he kind of contains multitudes. He's he's not just a weasel. He's not just a, a put upon guy who's trying to do the right thing. He's also kind of a I don't know. He's not quite a badass, but he does have a certain level of of game, and you don't want to cross him. You know, like he's not he's not someone to be uh, trifled with. I guess is kind of what I'm saying. He's a maverick. Yeah, I mean, are you are you? I, maybe you're being silly by using that word, but I think he is. <laughs> no, I mean it. You know, he's 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 a silly maverick. He's a silly maverick. Um, but I loved in that scene how they uh, how they uh, kept the uh, uh, music going the whole time. I, I guess. I guess the music stays on all night, every night in the nail salon. Kim kind of, I feel like she leaves sooner than she would have left because he's not being very forthcoming. Right. She looked like she was there to hang. Um, but she she may have just really wanted to deliver the letter. But either way, the next day, he's there with Hamlin. So they're in the judge's office, and, and we're finding out uh, that Jimmy can't continue with this. He's got to take the billboard down. It's not really going to go his way. But his scheme kind of worked because it got under Howard's skin. I mean, he's definitely kind of trying to tweak Hamlin's sense of self-importance. And we do get a hint of that in this scene. We get a hint that Howard Hamlin has, is a bit self-important because he has copyrighted his own color, Hamlindigo. Yeah. But yeah, it it just it's a funny moment that that in retrospect plays as it's all part of Jimmy's plan. It's like a scene from The Sting where everything's going according to plan. But it seems like he just really did something petty and vindictive and kind of got his jollies out of it. And we are led to believe I was sort of believing going into the next scene when he seems to be taking down the billboard. I was believing he was just trying to make hay out of something he had to do. They actually had me through much of this scene. I don't remember the exact moment when I began to realize that it had all been set up, but it certainly was not as early as it should have been. Like, I feel like I should have been hip to something the second the guy slipped uh, off the billboard. Yeah. But I wasn't. I was thinking more along the lines of what's going to happen here, because I thought it would be interesting if the show had played a moment of heroism from Jimmy. Yeah. And it actually made me think of the film Hero. Wasn't there a film with Dustin Hoffman where he plays a guy who took credit for something he didn't do? Yeah. Yeah. I did not see that one, but that's right. This scene is like the final reveal of the episode. And I would say a much clearer indication of of where Jimmy is on that moral spectrum we've been talking about. Well, they had me like they did you up until I'm not uh, just too long. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe when he was halfway up the ladder or a little further, I, I said, "Oh, wait a minute. This this could all be a a scam here." Uh, this, I guess just because it dawned on me, this is too good to be true. And then I realized, oh well. If it's too good to be true, it's not true. Well, you know, you know what was was one of the clues to me that it, it was a moment where I was starting to think that the filmmaking got a little cheesy because the music that was playing was kind of like something that would have been playing on. I mean, not that these shows are cheesy, Superman. Or I was going to say like it was the kind of exciting music that would have been playing on like an episode of Simon and Simon or something like that, <laughs> right? You know, and it felt a little bit less in control of its tone and a little bit just corny compared to what this show normally does. I would be curious to know if the writers, directors, everybody working on that episode if they thought we're going to fool them until this moment or if they thought oh people will be laughing at the moment they see the guy slip because again I bet there's somebody out there that was was hip to it from the start you said too good to be true yeah the principle of too good to be true uh, applies in 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 this world uh, you know a lot (laughs) so I wonder if they'll let him get away with this uh, as far as you know because easily the you know the billboard people could look at the headline and come out and say that's not our guy you know or whatever some 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 way that it could come out but 
I think it'd be good to just let him get that and move on from it. And the only conflict is is Chuck uh, finding out about it. But we talk about that afterwards. Well, I think that I think that yeah. Let's talk about the next scene, and then we'll kind of wrap up with some of these thoughts about about what this means for Jimmy and what this kind of says about his his moral standing and his chances of survival in his own world. So we, after that scene, we we. We very quickly see the reveal uh, as Jimmy goes to Chuck's house and he's gathering up uh, Chuck's newspapers and he's going to take them in. But he's concerned about Chuck finding out what has happened, which is that, you know, he's safe from Chuck seeing it on the television or hearing it on the radio. So that's that's convenient for him. We just get a brief montage that just kind of shows us that the story of this this heroic lawyer doing this thing has spread and he's been on the news. And we see Kim's reaction to it. And I don't know, I read her as uh, skeptical at best. <laughs> uh, um, you know, Howard Hamlin seems seems uh, uh, definitely to believe that Jimmy is doing something sneaky. But I don't know. Do you think Kim is thinking for a moment that Jimmy might be might have done something heroic or do you think she knows him too well? <laughs> um, I think she 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 knows that it was a, a scam. But um, what I loved about it was just seeing her face, uh, whether she knows that the that the. Uh, falling was a scam or not she knows that he's uh taking full advantage of it and and going to get business out of it you know and so i loved seeing her straight face watching it after hamlin walks off <laughs> and 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 just wanting so badly something from her you know uh some appreciation and then that little smile uh comes over her face uh i, I was really pleased yeah it was nice because it's it's like it's one more piece in the puzzle, like the little hint, you know, they shared a cigarette in the first episode, and then he calls right, her, calls her in the third, and she refers to the phone sex, and you get a sense that they, that they chat. And then even earlier in this episode, her stopping by, they, they have this, they just have a cool friendship that really seems like it's got a history, you get a sense that it's been through lots of different permutations, and they're just part of each other's lives, you know. And it's odd to think that we're on episode four, and they haven't done more with saying oh one of them wants the other one and they can't do this or the or they used it's it's becoming clear what kind of relationship they had or any of that we're we're this far into the show and they're still just sort of cool friends who seem to have a slightly more of a spark and that's all we know and i wonder are we going to stay this way and just have something that you very seldom do on tv which is to say oh there's a man and a woman who are friends and who you know, have a slight spark, but we're not going to make that a big story thing and not going to worry about a big romance. Uh, that would be fairly revolutionary if they stayed this way. Well, I mean, the only thing we really have to compare it to is rather than all other shows, because in, in, in general, shows tend towards having that relationship, even if it's a slow boil, they're going to eventually build up to it getting together. Right. Breaking Bad never really had a romantic plot line, you wouldn't say. Maybe there'll be some drunk dialing. Maybe there'll be some kind of friends with benefits type stuff that creeps into it. But I don't see that there's any reason why their relationship should have to be a will they or won't they type thing because it seems that they have. Right. It seems that they, they've they've been over that bridge because it feels like a real adult relationship. I, I, I think that's what it is about it is it just feels realistic in that sense. Yeah. So, yeah, she smiles. Um, she's 
you know, like you said, maybe pleased that Jimmy's making uh, a meal of his of what's happened. But uh, Chuck is is not going to be the type to do that. So Jimmy uh, spirits away the Albuquerque Journal that has the local lawyer, local hero headline in it with a nice picture of him. You can tell he's kind of proud of it, even as he's kind of ashamed of it. Like he's kind of practicing what he's going to say to Chuck, and he's realizing that Chuck's not going to buy it. What we do know is at the end of the episode, Chuck is seemingly very concerned with what might be happening, which is that Jimmy might be backsliding. Jimmy might be slipping into slipping Jimmy, Chuck might have means for feeling really personally betrayed and disappointed uh, if Jimmy has, has has gone back to his old ways. It was a really fun sequence uh, that they did with Chuck running outside and uh, the shots of the power lines, and they give these, you know, quirky sound effects to the power lines, even though they're just there. Uh, Chuck is going through a personal horror, running outside with his space blanket on him, and then he gets back in and just, you know, I barely survived, and, and then he... Uh, uh, sort of pulls the blanket up around himself in the in the very end, and and uh, I just liked the way that was done a lot. Very considerate paperweight usage. <laughs> like Chuck wanted to pay for the paper. Like he, it's like we see that Chuck is a very he's a straight and narrow type of guy. Even when he's doing this crazy thing, and he's clearly you know ha- having this awful episode. <laughs> yeah, and we see the neighbors see him. He's got to pay. Well, that yeah. Let's talk about that in a sec. But he's got to pay for it. He's not going to steal it. He leaves the money. He sees the money blowing away. He goes back, puts the rock on top of it to hold it down. That's just so. Those are such great character details and tell us that Chuck really is someone who believes you can do the right thing no matter what. Right. After that whole scene being kind of shot, sort of from his point of view, where we see the maybe what he sees and we hear what he hears and we feel what he feels, then we do get that great cut to the neighbor watching him and then we see what she sees. <laughs> Which is this madman huddling across the street. Right. It's one of my favorite gags in all film when they do that. When you're in someone's mind and you're seeing the way they're seeing the world and then you pull back and get the wide view of what's really going on. And sometimes the absurd uh, juxtaposition. And this really was a moment that played it played comically. You know, it, it, it played funny. Like, it played as a funny moment, but it also yeah. played as kind of sad, and it didn't seem like it was poking fun at Chuck's condition. Like, it walked a nice line between, like I said, just a, a funny, weird moment, but also a moment that tells us that it's further understanding of Chuck's condition, which is to say it's more than something that's just in his head. It's something that he is actually experiencing, is what I took from that. Yeah. So, yeah, it really answered a lot of questions, and, yeah, left you with a moment of realizing that maybe an angry Chuck is not going to be uh, a very easy person for Jimmy to dismiss yeah yeah that's true i mean i think he has a lot of power to harangue jimmy and cow jimmy into uh you know maybe doing things uh differently uh but outside of that what can he do uh and you know the the uh scam has already been done and the article's already in the paper so you can't make jimmy undo any of that uh so that's an interesting question but i was left also wondering at the end of the episode because you had mentioned something uh, about them, uh, somebody, some writer saying they had the charter of leaving each episode with a decision for Jimmy. Uh, but I don't think they did that this time. I mean, I didn't leave the episode thinking, what's Jimmy going to do? Because he seems on a track now. Uh, but you could leave the episode saying, what's Chuck going to do? Because he just found out about this uh, dismaying uh backslide for Jimmy. I mean, you could say that rather than a decision that was a complication for Jimmy at the end of the episode, Yeah. but I feel like this episode dealt so explicitly with Jimmy's choices and what the fallout from Jimmy's choices might be. Yeah. It wasn't a cliffhanger built on that, but it is a classic 
Vince Gilligan style cliffhanger where the episode ends with you getting that little extra beat. Like, you know, you're watching that scene at the end going, okay, this is interesting, but I don't really know where this is going. But then just ending on Chuck, for one thing, it's interesting on this show whenever we're not around Jimmy. You know, it, I, I watch it really carefully because so much of it is watching Jimmy and seeing his wheels turning. It was nice to get that extra little bit of development from Chuck because we see Chuck is suspicious of Jimmy's story from the get-go. I, I wondered if these two characters were going to be working together or working against each other. I would. It looks like for the short term there may be a, a bit of antagonism built into the the brotherly relationship. But you know, what time is your hair appointment? Don't forget to watch the clock. No, you might be right, Chris. I gotta say, maybe this is time for some final thoughts, and then I will hit the road. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really have any. I don't have any final thoughts. We covered everything that I've been thinking about. Well, I, I will just add before we before we end this that I think that this was an episode about Jimmy kind of undercutting our hopes for him. In this episode, to me, at, by the end, he was the guy who kind of breaks my heart a little bit. After beginning to develop an opinion of Jimmy as essentially a guy with a good heart who's trying to do the right thing, it was great to come out of this episode feeling like, oh yeah, he he is kind of not that guy. He's he is a guy with a good heart who's trying to do the right thing, but you know, only only on weekdays. I'm not disappointed in him. I'm I'm. Uh excited about him being uh who he's gonna be who we like to watch and so i just feel like we're 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 getting closer all the time to uh learning his ways and to him uh figuring out uh how to how to navigate this world man i really do have to go i can't believe i've continued talking this long just to remind everybody, you can follow us on Twitter at Saul underscore searching, and you can also send us an email at saulsearching at gmail.com. We're still waiting for anybody to send in a question or an observation. I promise you, anything you send in, we'll read on the show. Let's not go too far. I'll say anything related to the show that isn't crude will be read on the show. Okay. Is that fair? All right. Awesome. <laughs> well, I got to go. All right, man. It's been a hot talk. Hot-ish. You know, hot enough. Hot talk. Hot talk. Hot talk.